Church, let me invite you to open the scriptures with me this morning to the book of Psalms, Psalm 113, as we continue our time in uh, the Psalms. And as we think about an ancient text, an ancient hymn text, how remarkable it is to be reminded and to think that uh, what we do on Sunday mornings as we gather week after week after week in the name of Christ and to worship Him is much bigger and much broader than just us. In fact, if we were to think about uh, just our local Baptist association, the Shelby Baptist Association, there are some 65 or so churches that meet week after week. Uh, if, we, if we were to broaden that to uh, the Birmingham Baptist Association, that number rises to some 193 congregations. Uh, that's not to mention the other four uh, Baptist associations in Jefferson County uh, and the numerous evangelical uh, churches outside of our faith tradition that are also meeting across this city. So when we uh, expand outward in, in Google Earth fashion, we quickly are reminded that there are uh, innumerable gatherings of brothers and sisters in Christ all across North and South America, Europe and Asia, Africa and Australia that are gathering week after week uh, in church buildings or in schools or in coffee shops or in living rooms to open the word of God and to sing praises to the living God. Friends, God is big. He is big. He is grand and he is glorious and he is worthy to be praised by people of all ages and skin tones personalities and backgrounds from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Our text for today reminds us uh, that he is worthy uh, to be praised in such a way. So let me invite you to look with me at God's word again today as you find your place uh, in Psalm 113. Uh, Join me standing for the reading of of God's word. Psalm 113, beginning in verse 1, the scriptures instruct us to this end. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, you his servants. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is exalted over all the nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes, with the princes of his people. He settles the childless woman in her home as a happy mother of children. Praise the Lord. Let's bow together. And Father, we do acknowledge that uh, these words that were originally penned and spoken, prayed and sung to you are also from you. Lord, this is your word. We pray that you would now speak us and Speak to us, instruct us, and guide us uh, through it by the presence and power of your spirit and for your glory. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, church, you may be seated. Well, like many of the Psalms, this particular text begins and ends with uh, a call to praise. Hallelujah, meaning praise the Lord. An invitation and exhortation to enthusiastic worship. Specifically, 
God's servants, verse 1, are called to praise him. Possibly uh, a reference to the worship leaders in that day, but more than likely, I think, a, a reference to all of the worshiping community. So a reminder that believers, those who are part of God's covenant community, uh, who have entered into a relationship with him in faith, are his servants. They are his servants. We are his servants. A position of privilege. We are his. Yet they are servants. We are servants. A position of obligation. Called, invited, expected to join the believing community throughout the world in praising the only God. God's people are to praise him all the time and everywhere. God's people are to praise him all the time and everywhere. He is to be praised. Let the name of the Lord be praised, verse 2, both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. So in poetic fashion, the writer of this psalm employs parallelism, stating the same idea twice, just using some different words. But more than that, he employs a beautiful image. The image of a sunrise and a sunset. You know that the sun rises in the east in the morning and it sets in the west in the evening. Have you ever been to the beach and watched the sun rise or set over the ocean? What a beautiful picture and image. Looking for miles and miles in, in one direction to the east or the west. If you were able to follow the sun on the horizon, you never ever catch up with it, Right? can't catch it it would always stay ahead of you but if you tried if you were able to try you would eventually travel the world the psalmist is picking up on that imagery here the psalmist is saying here that the lord deserves to be praised all across the globe from east to west all across the earth by people from every nation and through the very same image he's saying that god deserves to be praised all the time from morning until evening Meaning, all day long. God's people are to praise Him all the time and everywhere for who He is and what He has done. For who He is and what He has done. That's what's meant by the name of the Lord. There's a disconnect here because we don't use name like that today. Uh, For example, if I was to to tell uh, my my wife, Ashley, I, I just love your name. I can just say it all day long. Love your name. Uh, you probably would think uh, I'm being a, a bit cheesy and, and odd, but you, you would have uh, a guess at what I mean by that. You might think and take me literally that I really just love the, the way that name sounds, a rather literal and simplistic understanding, but that's not what's being conveyed here in the Scriptures. For when the Old Testament refers to someone's name, it means his or her his or her character, who they are, and what they've done, the person. And three times in the opening three verses, this text calls us to praise God's name, meaning praise him for who he has declared himself to be, who he who he has revealed himself to be, who he has shown himself to be. This is what God did with Moses. Back in Exodus chapter 34 on Mount Sinai, when he appeared to him in a cloud, proclaiming his, his name. He said, Yahweh, I, I'm Yahweh. Exodus 34 verse 5. And then verse 6, he passed in front of Moses and he, he said, the Lord, the Lord. 
The compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents of the third and fourth generation. When when God proclaimed his name, he told who he was. And this became a fundamental confession, maybe the fundamental confession of God's character in in the scriptures, repeated multiple times in the Old Testament. This is who God is. God was saying, this is who I am. This is how I, I operate. He is compassionate. He is gracious. He is patient. He is full of love. He is always faithful. He is just, punishing sin. Yet his love and his faithfulness and his forgiveness far outreaches his wrath. To praise God's name is to recognize these fundamental truths about his character. And we cannot recognize and declare these without knowing who he is, without knowing his story. So let's learn his story. Let's be people who who, who learn his story. We can only know him to the extent that he makes himself known to us. And God makes himself known to us through his written word, a word that we know ultimately finds fulfillment in the gospel of Jesus. So friends, let's let's feast on his word. Let's be people who are about his word. Let's take in the scriptures. Let's take in the Bible. Let's feast on it. Let's read and reflect on the content and the direction and the shape of, of the Bible, for this is how we know him. This is what he wants us to know about him. This is what we need in order to really know him. Do you know him? Friend, do you know him? Do you know the one and only God who is worthy to be praised, who will be praised, who is being praised all the time and everywhere? For if you know him, friend, if you know him in the personal and intimate way that He invites us to know Him, then you will praise Him. You will want to praise Him. God's people are to praise Him all the time and everywhere for who He is and for what He's done and so that the world will know Him. So the world will know Him. The world from east to west cannot praise this God if the world doesn't know Him. If the world doesn't know God. The specific verb for praise in verse Two is not the same verb for praise in verse one, even though most of our English translations translate it the same way. But this is the word for bless. It's what's meant when we say bless the Lord or we sing bless the Lord, my soul. In the the context here, it implies enriching God's reputation in the world. Enriching his reputation. Contributing to an, an a healthy understanding of who he is by the people of the world. See the responsibility, the obligation, the privilege of God's servants, of his people, those who know him, has always been centrifugal. It has been outward toward the nations of the world also coming to know this compassionate, gracious, just, yet forgiving God who saves. Remember God's words to Abraham when he called him, In Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, God said to Abraham, the father of the Jews, he said, I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. 
called and blessed by God to bless the nations of the world. And then fast forward a number of hundreds of years through the prophet Malachi. God reminded Abraham's descendants of this truth. God said through Malachi, Malachi chapter 1 verse 11, he said, My name, meaning my reputation, my character, who I am, will be great among the nations. From where the sun rises to where it sets, in every place incense and pure offerings will be brought to me, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. Then again in John's vision, right? Revelation chapter 7, John's vision of Christ's heavenly throne We get a glimpse of this being fulfilled one day. After this, John looked, and there before him was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. It says they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Church, we praise the name of the Lord because... He is worthy. And because we want the world to know Him as we know Him. So let's share His story. Let's share His story. Let's share the truth about this God, this God who saves. Let's learn His story and tell His story, the story of God's unmerited mercy available to you and to me through the cross of Calvary. Let's tell of the God who saves us, who invites us to be His own, who invites us to know and to enjoy Him now and forever. Let's enrich His reputation in the world by talking to others about Jesus and by supporting those that do. By supporting the spread of His story, by supporting the spread of the gospel near and far through offerings, through prayer, through through offerings like the Annie Armstrong Easter offering, which supports the gospel work of this family. This is a picture of Annie Armstrong. And who is Annie Armstrong, you ask? Well, we'll get to that later. But first, take a close look at her picture. No, I mean a lot closer. Her picture is actually hundreds of little pictures. You have to put them all together just right to make a picture of Annie Armstrong. It's kind of like a jigsaw puzzle. And that is what brings us to this family, the Deloches. They love jigsaw puzzles. And one of the reasons why we love puzzles so much is because of the challenge of taking different pieces, different shapes, different sizes, putting them together and making something that is just beautiful. And that is what brings us here. Trent DeLoach is the Central Relief missionary in Clarkston, Georgia, a town with so many different people from so many different places. It's kind of like a giant jigsaw puzzle. Our neighbors happen to come from every corner of the globe, at least 60-plus different countries, over 100 different languages. These are people that are in need of friends. They're in need of the gospel. Most people in Clarkston are refugees. They had to move to America because it was too dangerous to live in their own country. Now, they come to Trent's church by the busload. Different ministries use his church building. They teach refugee kids all about jump shots and algebra and English. And they teach Trent how we really can tell people all over the world about Jesus. A lot of people question, you know, if you're a real missionary, why don't you go overseas? And so I would just simply say, 
We have to continue to go to the ends of the earth with the gospel. We also have to engage them, especially those that have come to us. That's why, even though Clarkston International Bible Church looks like a church and sounds like a church, it's also something more than a church. It's what's called the Send Relief Hub. A hub is basically a ministry center. If there's churches that want to see what's it look like to be a church in a really diverse neighborhood to do ministry with refugees, um, they'll have the opportunity to come and to see that ministry in action. We want to be able to show them, hey, this is how we do it. This is why we do what we do. It's kind of like a school for anybody who wants to learn how to share Jesus with refugees. And that is what brings us back to Annie Armstrong. When you give the offering that's named after her, you're helping missionaries like Trent build a Send Relief hub. And you're helping him take a lot of very different puzzle pieces and turn them into one beautiful picture. Because of your gifts, we're able to purchase Bibles in the heart languages of the people that live in our neighborhood. We're able to fund our ethnic church planters and to free up their time to share the gospel with more people. So kids, when you give to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering, you help us continue to put together these puzzle pieces to make a beautiful picture of what the church can look like in a really diverse community. Church God's people from the north and the south to the east and the west are to praise Him all the time and everywhere. And we praise Him because He is incomparable. He's incomparable. There there is none like Him. Verse 4, The Lord is exalted over all the nations, His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God? The One who sits enthroned on high. And of course, church, the answer is no one. No one is like Him. None are like him. God is in a category all by himself, unequaled, unmatched, unparalleled. He is exalted over all. He says, Psalm 46, verse 10, he says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The prophet Isaiah expresses this truth beautifully. In fact, hold your place here in Psalm 113. And if you have your Bible open, turn to the right, two or three books, to the book of Isaiah Isaiah, lengthy uh, prophecy, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, uh, Isaiah. Not far to the right, but here's the backstory of what's going on in Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, Isaiah's prophesying prior to the time of uh, the Babylonian captivity when Jerusalem will fall, uh, when that religious center of uh, the Jews will be uh, destroyed. Will be, will be destroyed and many of the Jews living there will be captured. They'll be taken to a a foreign land under a foreign pagan king. Uh, Isaiah is saying the kingdom is going to collapse. But beginning in chapter 40 of this book, God sends a word of comfort. A word of comfort to these exiles, reminding them that he is not done with them, reminding them that, that he is still trustworthy and that there is hope because his power is greater than all others. In fact, I think this serves as a reminder now for all of us. When when life looks dim, when we feel defeated, when evil abounds, God remains sovereign. Isaiah chapter 40, verses uh, 21 and following. Hear the word of the Lord. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth 
was founded. He, meaning God, sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. We saw that image beautifully last week in Psalm 104. Verse 23, he brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither. And a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes. Look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Friends, the God that we serve, the God that we praise is incomparable. There is none like him. So unlike uh, Loyola, Chicago, that won by the skin of their teeth yesterday over the Tennessee Volunteers, right? Or unlike Michigan, uh, who won by a last-minute buzzer beater by one point over uh, Houston last night in the NCAA uh, tournament, God is not slightly better. Uh, He's not slightly stronger. He's not a free throw percentage better on a given day than his rivals. No, he is unparalleled. He is unmatched. He is unequaled. And he will always be. We praise him, church, because he is incomparable. There's none like him. And we praise him for coming, for coming to meet our needs. It's incomparable, God. He he comes to, to meet our needs. Though he is lofty, he's splendid he's majestic he's he's high and exalted verse six he stoops down to look at what's going on here he's interested in in, in what's happening here friends unlike a detached or distant father that reduces his family responsibility simply to earning a paycheck this father he gets down on his knees he gets down on his knees and he looks his children in the eyes. Though he's, he's worthy, he, he doesn't remain in a prominent position at the table to be waited upon by others. No, he, he condescends. He comes down and displays intimate, knowledgeable, compassionate care for his servants. Like the undercover boss, he leaves the corporate office and he puts his work boots on and his hard hat and he mingles on the job site. Or like the one who leaves the, the stadium box seat and shows up on the practice field. He steps away from the royal palace. That's the image that we have here, the movement that we have here in Psalm 113, beginning in verse 6. He steps away from the palace and he hangs out. He hangs out in the hospital room. He hangs out in the courtroom. He hangs out in the psych ward. He hangs out with us at that dreaded parent-teacher conference at the hospice house or the county jail. He, he hangs out with us. He comes near to us in the lonely bedroom or under the Elton B. Stevens Expressway overpass or at the gravesite. Friends, this God exalts the hopeless and miserable. 
He's a God who exalts the hopeless and the miserable. When the great one comes near, when this God comes near, his grace abounds. In a dramatic role reversal, the high and exalted one, verse 7, raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes, with princes of his people. Church, our God, the one who is worthy of unending praise, takes the poor, miserable beggar who is dependent on trash heaps for survival. And, And the one who is dependent on rubbish fires for warmth, and he seats them with the rich and the powerful and the famous in his kingdom. He comes near. His grace abounds. He comes and meets our needs, the needs of the poor and lowly. Of course, God doesn't always do that here in this life in a physical way. But like in our Savior's parable of the rich man and Lazarus, He will do this for His people in the end. This is the way He operates. The Lord exalts the hopeless and the miserable and He gives joy to the lonely. He gives joy to the lonely as he did with the gift of a child to Hannah. In a culture, a day and time in which having children was considered a necessity. The Lord provides joy to the lonely and the oppressed. He satisfies the hurting and he cares for the weary. Say chapter 40, verse 28 and following. Do you not know? Same chapter we looked at moments ago. Do you not know? Have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He will not grow tired or weary in his understanding. No one can fathom. In other words, he's incomparable, right? He's the everlasting God. There's none like him. But the text doesn't end there. He moves on our behalf. He, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Church, we praise the Lord God for coming to meet our needs, for stooping down to see, for stooping down to save, for making himself nothing, Philippians chapter 2, by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness, for being found in appearance as a man, for humbling himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Friend, this is what Jesus has done for you. This is what Jesus has done for me. This is what the only God, the incomparable Almighty One has done for us. He has provided for us. So recount His gracious provisions for you. Recount His gracious provisions provisions for you today what has the lord done for you how has he provided for you you see he has done for you and he has done for me saving me from sin and despair some two millennia ago on the cross of calvary and sustaining me here and now by his common grace and one day returning for me that I might join the company of the redeemed from every nation, tribe, people, and language and joyfully worship at His feet forever and ever and ever. And friend, this is what He has done for you too. And for all who receive His gracious provision through repentance and faith. Are you a believer? Do you know this God? 
Do you desire to praise Him? Do you serve Him? Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and your future will rest secure and you and you will too join the company of the redeemed and you too will long for the day when you can gather with God's people and praise the Lord for His greatness and for His grace. You see, believers everywhere, from the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, believers everywhere praise God for His greatness and His grace. That's why we're here today. Friends, that's why we gather as God's people week after week. That's why churches are gathering across God's earth today. Believers everywhere praise God for His greatness and for His grace. May we, too, then, praise the Lord. Father, help us to praise You today. Help us to praise You from our lips. Help us to praise You in our minds. Help us to praise You with our hands, with our feet, with our hearts. Lord, may our lives reflect your greatness and your grace. We thank you for your word, your word that reminds us, that teaches us, and then reminds us again and again who you are and who you invite us to be and what you have done for us, what you are doing for us, and how you long to provide for your people forever and ever and ever. Lord, help us to respond to you now by praising you by bowing before you, by singing your praises, by by turning to you. Lead us to do so in a way that glorifies you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.